Hello, and welcome to the Indie Soundbites podcast, short fantasy fiction from the pages of Indie Bites. This week's story from our Mermaids and Mythology issue is Good and Beautiful by Josie Jaffrey, read by Justine Malone. Content warning. This story contains implied sexual assault and miscarriage. In the middle of the Aegean Sea, there's an island. It's not a big island, nor is it popular. The salt wind whips too harshly against its coast, flat and unprotected as it is, and scours the land to bare rock. Those who take the Grand Tour in search of adventure might spend weeks hopping around the Greek islands, but they don't come here. The only figures on the beach are the bone-white statues that litter the shore, bleached and smashed and weed-slicked. They're not beautiful. You might call their faces handsome and their bodies well-formed, those parts of them that you can find, at least. But you might also note the slight widening of their eyes and the mania of their smiles. If you were superstitious, you might wonder if it wasn't the landscape so much as the occupants that keeps the tourists away. Once upon a time, the island was different. Once upon a time, it was filled with fishermen and smallholders and their families, plus skilled craftsmen and the merchants they attracted. It bustled, not in the way that cities bustle, but with the slumbering labour of orchards in late summer and the fierce desperation of boats borne by winter storms. Once upon a time, it was home to a girl named Dew. Her house was so close to the beach that it was permanently filled with sand and so small that there was only just enough space for the three of them inside. When her father brought his friends home after a long day's fishing, they had to sit outside to eat. None of them much minded because the food was worth it. Dew's mother was the best cook on the island. She was so good that nearby smallholders gave her a share of their produce in return for finished meals. Just as well, because when Dew's father made his final trip to the sea never to return. That trade was all that kept you and her mother alive. Tides ebb and flow, taking the months with them. Dew grows up. She helps with the cooking and waits the tables that are their livelihood, permanent fixtures on the sand now. And all the time she grows. Soon she'll grow out of being a child. When her mother raises the subject for the first time, it's late in the year, late enough that the harvests are in and the frost on the wind makes Dew's nose run. Late enough that she can't deny how the cracks in the walls have begun to gape, letting the cold creep into their ramshackle home to rhyme the flagstones with ice. Dew, her mother says, softly entreating. We should think about finding you a husband. Dew knew it was coming, Knows it's inevitable, knows all the reasons that make it wise counsel, but still, it jolts her. No, she counters. We should find you a husband. I'm still a child. Her mother holds her gaze, but it costs her. The shame in her eyes. They both know why her mother can't remarry. It's not just that she has due, it's everything else. There were lean times when there was no food to be had when her mother sent Dew away on errands more often. Away to the beach for seaweed, away to the hills for herbs, away to anywhere as long as it was far enough from the house. While a single man dined alone on the beach and lingered. Different men, but always with the same intent darkening their eyes when they looked at her mother. 
Now Dew feels like she is the one trapped by their gaze. No, she says again. Her mother is defeated. All right, not yet. But soon, before it's too late. The changes start with the spring, slowly enough that Dew doesn't notice at first, but soon, too soon, it's inescapable. By the end of May, Dew's a girl who looks fully grown. She doesn't want to be. All she wants is to be left alone. But there's no hiding from the rest of the island. The boys her age and older start chuckling behind their hands as she serves their food, exchanging significant glances with each other over wine-flushed cheeks. She hears their laughter as she walks away and wonders what she's done to upset them. It's only later, when the first one corners her behind the woodpile, that she realises her mistake. He's good-looking. The light brown of his hair startles her. Most of the island's inhabitants share dews colouring ink-black hair, tan skin, dark eyes. His are grey. He looks like one of the heroes from the stories her mother recites by the fire. The problem is that stories lie. The old stories are the worst, filled with untruths that grow as they percolate through the years. The lie about pretty boys is the biggest of them all. What do you want? Shh, he soothes, like she's a baby. I only want to say hello. Dew doesn't know that only is a threshold word. He steps towards her and then he's stroking her face as he whispers soft words that are meant to reassure but instead they make her heart race with something that scares her. When he touches her hair she rears back and pushes away running into the house and her mother's arms. Dew cries, just for a moment. It's shock more than anything else. Her mother doesn't ask why, she doesn't need to. She just says, the Angelos boy? Dew nods against her shoulder. He works the small holding with his father, she says, her tone thoughtful as she strokes her daughter's hair. He's a good boy, handsome. The words sting Dew. The injustice, the betrayal. Because she doesn't understand how the island works, how precarious their place in it is. Her mother explains, no one will believe her. The boys get away with everything because they are beautiful and charming, and it doesn't matter how beautiful a girl is. She will never be any good. Her best chance is to charm one of them into marriage. Then, at least, she will be safe from the others. The next time the Angelos boy corners her by the woodpile, she lets him stroke her hair. She lets the others, too. They only want to talk. They only want to kiss. They only want to touch. She only wants to be left alone, but she is overruled. After all, how is it fair that the needs of one should outweigh the wants of so many others? Her only weighs less than theirs. There's a man called Andros. He comes around a lot these days, first and last at the dining tables. Dew's mother sits with him sometimes while the islanders raise their eyebrows. Some of the older women tut at her mother, making Dew blush but not with embarrassment. Inside, she is raging. They have their comfortable small holdings and their labouring husbands safe from the sea. They don't understand that Dew and her mother have to take kindness wherever they can get it. And they get plenty from Andros. He brings game and fish and fine wooden objects he's carved himself, all of which he gives without asking for recompense. Not from Dew, anyway. But her mother actually likes him. This is more than trade. Andros is handsome, too, 
do you think that's a good thing for her mother? Handsome men don't need to buy women with gifts. They don't need to lie because they always get what they want. They only have to ask, so why bother with deception? In its way, that is comforting. Andros must be genuine, or he wouldn't bring them anything at all. He travels a lot, he says, skipping from island to island to trade the things he picks up along the way. So he's never around for more than a few days at a time, but he spends time at the beach. The boys learn to avoid dew on those days, but they come running back the moment he's left. It's a game to them, this dance of dominance. Dew never wins. She isn't even a player, just a piece. Until she flips the board. While Andros is away, the Angelos boy traps her by the woodpile again. He usually leaves off after some kisses and a fumbling grope. They all do. But this time he tangles his fingers in her hair and won't let go. He knows Andros will be back any day now and he means to snatch his chance while he still can. She could scream. She thinks about it. But she knows how he'll twist the truth. He'll smile and laugh and say she was asking for it, then come back with his fists the next day to strike where it won't show. She's seen enough marks on her mother over the years to know what to expect from boys that snatch. There are no heroes to come to her rescue. None that will believe her, anyway. She's heard the stories, and she knows what they teach. Beautiful boys are virtuous, but every girl is poison. If only that were true. She prays, eyes and lips pressed shut against his kiss and the ripping pain in her scalp. If I could bite and sting and paralyse, I could protect myself. If I were made of venom, they'd taste me and die. It's a bitter prayer to a god you didn't think was listening. But it works. She is granted one, if only, to counter all their onlys. There's a quickening at the roots of her hair. It's long and thick, bound back with a rag and the boy's hands, but now it breaks free in coils of silky smoothness that glide across Dew's cheeks and embrace her shoulders, not with the threat of a lover, but bringing comfort like her mother's arms. The boy doesn't notice at first, intent as he is on his object. For a second, a split second, there is satisfaction in his eyes. He thinks she's relenting, mistaking the touch at his neck, his shoulder, his waist, for Dew's questing fingers. His blood is too high to admit the discrepancy. Three touches, two hands. Three touches, three bites. The Angelos boy keeps his distance after that night. He says nothing about what happened, because who would believe it? He isn't sure what happened himself. His skin is scarred with the marks of sunk teeth, but Dew's lips were trapped by his... Her hands crushed between them, so it couldn't have been her. He thought he saw her hair, but it's ridiculous. Her hair looks just like anyone else's now. It must have been insects, he thinks, though he's never seen bites like these. They fester and stink of rotting flesh as though he is dissolving from the inside out. He is in too much pain to think of romance. Dew has no time to celebrate over the coming weeks or to ponder the divine intervention. Her mother is sick. She looks tired, drawn, and she can't cook without vomiting. Their neighbour's scant goodwill is just enough to keep the trade flowing, but their generosity wanes with time. Dew's food lacks the culinary magic of her mother's. Her pies are too flaky, her bread not as light and fluffy as she wishes. 
She's learned a lot in her short years, but she can't yet replace her mother at the stove. When Andros returns, he finds Dew desperate and scared. She greets him with relief and leaves him alone with her mother, hoping they will come up with a cure. Despite her better instincts, she thinks he's there to help. The yelling drifts down to the beach in fragments. Already have three. What did you expect me to... Wife! Can't support another. Then the violence. The kick. The clatter. The muffled scream. The end. When Dew reaches the door, Andros pushes past her and out. Dew's mother is lying on the doorstep, blood surrounding her, legs coated with gore. Gone. The pulse at her throat, the breath from her lungs, and the life she carried, along with her own. Andros backs away. His last words are, I only. Dew meets his eyes as the echoes of memory swim around her head, dredging up all the onlys that have ever been imposed on her. I only want to touch. I only do it because you want it. It'll only hurt for a second. And in a flash of certainty, Dew feels the weight of all the onlys her mother has suffered through her short life until this final one. I only wanted you at my convenience. It doesn't matter that he doesn't speak the words. It's what they all want at the end of their onlys. Dew becomes conscious of the writhing of her hair. She had half convinced herself that she dreamed it the first time, and for a second she chooses to believe that it's the wind tugging her braid loose, hoping the feeling will pass. It doesn't. The locks circle her shoulders and hold her as she falls to the sand at Andros's frozen feet, stroking her back and blanketing their warmth around her. The wind blows sand across the beach and waves against the shore, but Andros is still. His skin is unnaturally white and hard as marble. His feet are planted like roots, his hands held out to placate, his eyes frozen wide in panic. He looks scared, as though he knew in his last seconds that if the men had found out what he'd done, they would have come for him. Maybe they would have. When they see her mother's body and the unnatural sculpture that Andros has become, they'll definitely come for Dew. They'll call her a witch and throw rocks at her until she's buried alive. They'll be lining up to condemn her, all the boys who've stolen kisses and squeezes and stroked her hair. Dew's hair strokes her now, wiping away her tears, offering solutions. Andros doesn't move. Dew's mother doesn't move. Her hair. In the middle of the Aegean Sea, there is still an island. It was bare to start with, but now it's stripped clean. The fragments of every statue collected and reassembled in its proper place. The figures have been measured and studied until the truth has been mined from their bones, and this is the verdict. They are role models and heroes, the template for manhood. The stories call them Calicagathia, good and beautiful. And with that word, they lock the qualities into one inseparable equation. Beautiful equals good. They're in museums now. You can go and see them if you want. You can look into their handsome faces, their blank eyes, and decide for yourself what fate they have earned. Whether they'll spend eternity smiling or grimacing with fear.
Thank you for listening to Good and Beautiful by Josie Jaffrey, read by Justine Malone. Josie Jaffrey is an indie author of fantasy novels who lives in Oxford, England. If you enjoyed this short story, you might enjoy The Wolf and the Water, the first book in Josie's Deluge series. It's an historical fantasy novel inspired by the myth of Atlantis, following a young girl racing to solve her father's murder before her world is destroyed. If you'd like to contribute to Indie Bites, get in touch at silversunbooks.com or find us on Twitter at Indie underscore Bites. 